Hi, I'm Tommy Henry, host of the Chicago History Podcast. Back in February of 2021, I talked with local author John F. Lyons about his new book about the Beatles in Chicago. But as we only touched on about half of the book at that time, I thought I'd circle back for another round. Fortunately, John said yes. This also gave me the opportunity to record the interview in person in the wild, something I haven't done on this podcast. So we found a drinking establishment in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Chicago, sat on the back patio, and raised a pint. Well, maybe a few pints. While we talked about the Beatles in Chicago, the later years. Enjoy. I'm in Lincoln Square tonight at Ricochet's on the corner of Eastwood and Lincoln Avenue. Out on the patio, we've got a little bit of noise in the background, nothing too terrible, I hope. And I'm with my friend John F. Lyons. John, welcome. Tommy, it's a pleasure to be here again. Is it too early to call me a regular guest of the show? Well, you're you're the only person I've had on more than once. So I am this a regular is guest of the show. I, I would say so. The reason I invited John back is uh, not only because he's uh, such a, a dynamic presence, but the first time I had John on to talk about his book, Joy and Fear, The Beatles, Chicago, and the 1960s. We only talked about the first half of the book, so I thought I would have John back. August 20th, in less than a week, is uh, an important date with the Beatles. We'll get to that in a moment, but uh, John's always a good guy to talk to. So, Well, thank you, Tommy. That was a lovely introduction again, and it's an honor to be here. So last time uh, I saw you, your book hadn't been released yet, but now it has been released. How has the response been to your book? Terrible. So uh, nobody's bought it, nobody likes it, and the only person that's had me back on their podcast is you, Tommy. Oh, boy. No, it's going very well. Yeah, the feedback has been good. I'm very happy. Uh, People seem to be interested in the topic. I think if you're interested in Chicago, uh, the Beatles story does bring up some interesting uh, stories and if you're interested in the Beatles I think the Chicago angle does add something extra to the to the Beatles story as well so yeah I've been very happy with the the feedback good 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 now have you had anybody who has been claiming you did something wrong or your research was faulty in some way you know what no but that is something that did bother me when I was writing the book because I thought there's always Beatles scholars or even Beatles fans they're very much into minutiae you know, every single part of the Beatles story, they know so well. And so if you get it wrong, you're going to get hammered. Right. So at the moment, nobody has hammered me. Second half of the Beatles time in Chicago. I have written here in my notes. Last time we talked, we talked about the first uh, Beatles show at the International Amphitheater. Yep. I figured today we could start with the second show yep. uh, when they came into town in August of 1965. Yeah. Uh, they didn't play the International Amphitheater. They played at a bigger venue. Yes. Well, let me refresh your uh, listeners' memories. Thank you. And that is, uh, yeah, the f- first time the Beatles played in uh, Chicago was on September the 5th, 1964, at the International Amphitheater. And you've got to always remember that when they came here, everything was new. Beatlemania was new. People really didn't know about, uh, you know, the extent of Beatlemania and how long the Beatles would be successful. It could have been an overnight uh, venture. So therefore, you had the situation where the promoter of the 64 concert, Frank Freed, he uh, thought that the Beatles would basically just come in, play one concert to 13,000 people at the International Amphitheatre, and they'd leave the city. So when people started to uh, put in the, the, uh, to buy the tickets, 
there was 50,000 people that applied for 13,000 tickets. So obviously he completely underestimated the popularity of the Beatles in 64. And the other thing he did was he was not used to putting on concerts, pop concerts. So he decided rather than uh, get the local juggernaut radio station to uh, sponsor the show, he got some middle-aged columnist from the local paper. So, in other words, it was a very amateurish sort of uh, concert, really, that he put on. And then uh, Mayor Daly was always worried about law and order in the city. And so, to avoid any trouble from those horrible Beatle fans, he decided the Beatles would come into the city and leave. They would not stay overnight. And also, he kept hidden the fact that they were coming into Midway Airport, not O'Hare Airport. Anyway, I just thought we'd refresh that because I thought we'd give that context. Sure. Now, in 65, when they come back, everything is different. Frank Freed has sort of like realised how popular they are. He realised that there is a radio station called WLS. Mayor Daly realises that actually Beatlemania isn't that bad a thing and that the fans spend a lot of money in the city. So anyway, so what happens then in uh, 65 is uh, Frank Freed now books uh, White Sox Park, Old Comiskey Park, two shows, 62,000 people played on August the 20th, 1965. That was two shows same day? Same day. Wow. One in the afternoon and one in the uh, the evening. And so 62,000 on that day, August 20th, 1965, was more people saw them on that day than they did on any other stop on any of the Beatles North American tours. Wow. And uh, so it was a huge thing, you know, the fact that he'd booked uh, White Sox Park for the uh, the show. He also did get WLS to sponsor the show. Tickets for five fifty a ticket. I have this inflation calculator website that I go to, and and it basically said August of nineteen sixty five five fifty is worth essentially forty seven dollars now, which I thought, wow, they I mean they they made a a pretty good penny even after paying the promoters, yeah. uh, playing for sixty some thousand people yeah. Um, there. Yeah. I think it was 150000 if I remember right, that they made from those uh, two shows. And uh, they then played on to uh, 10 cities in all, 17 days. Mm. So it was a much smaller tour than they did before. And it was mostly in arenas this time. This is well, the, the tour where they did Shea Stadium yeah, in New York. Yeah. Before that, uh, March of 1966, John Lennon does an interview with uh, Maureen Cleave with the uh, London... Evening stand. Thank you. Where he said, uh, and I'm taking it somewhat out of context, that the Beatles are more popular than Jesus. Yeah. So he was talking to a relatively a friend that he knew, uh, an English reporter, and they were basically talking about what was happening in England, in the UK. And what was happening there is uh, Christianity was on decline. I don't think there's any doubt about that. It was in the papers. Everybody knew it. You know, the Beatles were trying to be more serious in 1966, talk about more serious things than uh, what kind of girls they like and uh, when will the bubble burst. And so he started talking about Christianity and what he saw around him. He just read a book about it. and So he started talking about that. And uh, the, the quote, basically, that everybody used after that was uh, bigger than Jesus. But what he actually said was that Christianity is in such decline now that kids uh, are moving more towards the Beatles than they are towards Jesus Christ that we're more popular now than Jesus was. So he's making a statement really about decline of Christianity. And uh, they, all four Beatles gave an interview to her in uh, March 66. Paul McCartney also gave a, a very controversial interview where he talked about race relations in America. And uh, he was talking basically about how 
black people are very oppressed in America. George Harrison gave an interview where he was basically condemning sort of uh, uh, the war machine, not just in Vietnam, but in general around the world, that uh, people were being killed by armies and he was a believer in peace and he didn't like war films being shown on TV, etc, etc. So anyway, so he had a number of interviews. So these interviews were picked up by an American magazine called Datebook. And that came out of New York as run by a liberal man called Art Unger, who knew the Beatles, he was a relatively uh, acquaintance of them, and also uh, Danny Fields, who was the editor. And they were both New York liberals. And so they looked at these interviews and they thought straight away the one that would make the most impression was Paul McCartney's because he wrote about race relations in America and about how terrible it was. So what they did is uh, they put Paul McCartney on the cover of their uh, September uh, 1966 edition and they put a quote from him at the top and then they put Lennon's quote below that. So obviously it was aimed at the audience that would be outraged at what Paul McCartney said. Okay? But anyway, so but the article was actually picked up by a couple of DJs in, uh, they did a talk show in Alabama. And they were more concerned not with what McCartney said, because uh, race relations they kind of knew was not at the best in the southern states. So what they picked up and said was Lennon's quote, where he said that uh, the Beatles were more popular than uh, Jesus Christ. And so they ran with that story, and that was the story that took off in the Bigger Than Jesus controversy. Lennon's quotes, even though it was Paul McCartney on the cover and Paul McCartney's quote was above it. You know, people have an idea that it was just something that just spread in the South, you know, amongst the sort of uh, evangelical uh, Christians, but it moved much beyond the South and it moved to all over America. There was bonfires of Beatles records, there was uh, boycotts of Beatles uh, uh, songs on the radio, uh, editorials and newspapers, so it was a, a big thing. Now, let me ask you this. Before we get to the Astro Hotel uh, in, in August of 1966, the bonfires, uh, you know, I've seen the pictures. I don't recall whether there was as much outrage in Chicago as there was in the South. Did any of the radio stations stop playing their songs, for example? Uh, did anyone turn their back uh, on, on the Beatles and say, you know, I'm done with them. They, they've crossed the line. No, so it did spread all over America, but I think it'd be true to say it was worse in rural areas. Mm. So, in other words, places like L.A., places like New York, places like Chicago, it wasn't as extreme as it was in more rural parts of America. I think that's true. But on the other hand, even in Chicago, the, the, news, the local newspapers were editorialising against Lenin's comments. The church leaders came out against uh, what Lenin had said. Uh, very interesting, uh, what I, I mentioned to you earlier about there was uh, 50,000 people applied for tickets for their concert in 64. Uh, 62,000 saw them play in 65, but in 66 they only played to, to 26,000 people. Before we get to that, August of 1966, the Beatles come to town to yep. play the first of the first shows yep. in '66. Started here in Chicago, yep. uh, but before that, they uh, were at the Astro Hotel in the Gold Coast of, of Chicago. Yep. Now it's condos. The building is still there. Yep. And during the press conference, Lennon had his famous apology. Yeah, that's right. Now again, that hotel was a really fancy hotel on the Gold Coast, pretty new as well. 
and uh, they stayed there and they knew that when they came in Chicago that Lenin would have to apologize and so they arrived on uh, August the uh, 11th and uh, on the 27th floor of the Astor Tahar Hotel they gave a press conference and they actually gave two press conferences because you'll notice there is two distinct ones that you'll see on YouTube and other places. And the first one, they have kind of like wallpaper behind them, and they've been interviewed by the uh, national uh, media. So there it's kind of like NBC, CBS, uh, CBS etc. are interviewing them. And he did apologise, you know, the words were basically slightly mealy-mouthed, but he, he really did. Now, was that Brian Epstein saying, you have to do this, or was he like, oh, we're in trouble? And I better get in front of this, or yeah, I think again we have, a, yeah, we have an impression about uh, Lenin has been such a rebel, but I think he kind of realised in '66 uh, that the tour was in jeopardy, and the work of his three friends were in jeopardy, of his manager, of you know ev- everything, yeah, yeah, library, everything that they'd planned for. So he knew as well. It wasn't just Epstein saying you have to apologise. Right. He knew he had to apologise, and yeah. by all accounts, he was very, very upset. He was very nervous. You can see him nervous in the interview, yeah, pretty sure. obviously. So he gave that in the interview, but then there was a second series of interviews as well in the, in the uh, hotel, the same place, and that was more to sort of like the travelling media on the tour and local media. And on that one, if you ever see on uh, YouTube, that one is they're at a sort of table, and you, it's in a sort of white background. So they're, they're two distinct sort of sure. different uh, places. But they are both in the Astor Tower Hotel. And again, he pretty much said the same thing that he was, uh, if, if they want an apology, I'll give them one. I'm sorry. So August of 66, Lennon makes his apology. They're getting ready to play two nights, not at Comiskey. They're going back to the International Amphitheater, which I'm, I'm confused as to why they'd go back to a smaller venue having had so much success. Yeah. What, what's that about? Right, I, I think basically the Beatles were already slightly in decline, oh. uh, yes, in 66. And I think the Chicago, well, the whole tour sort of says that, but certainly what happened in Chicago. When Frank Freed was organising the 66 tour, which was at the beginning of 66, before the uh, Bigger Than Jesus controversy erupted, okay, he wanted them to play at Wrigley Field. And he wanted them to do one concert there, and it's, uh, if I'm right in saying, they never had uh, floodlights there. So it would have been an afternoon show in 66. Uh, yeah, they didn't have lights until uh, 1988. So yeah. that would have been... Yeah. Uh, and so he was just hoping for the one show in front of maybe, what would that be, 35,000 people yeah, or so? Plus, yeah, Yeah, yeah. But certainly not 60,000, okay? So he yeah. knew that they wouldn't attract 60,000. Sure. But anyway, so uh, Wrigley Field turned them down because they wanted to protect the hallowed turf understandably <laughs> and uh, so therefore he had to look around and uh, the amphitheater was available he could do t- it wasn't two nights it was two shows on the same night and so he picked that 26,000 people and so I think it indicates that they're already you know slightly declined from sure. their peak we'll be right back are you a Caribbean American Are you looking for a podcast that truly speaks to your culture and identity? Look no further than Carry On Friends, the ultimate destination for all things Caribbean American, hosted by me, Carrie Ann. Dive deep into topics such as culture, heritage, and everyday life through the unique lens of the Caribbean American experience. You'll walk away feeling more connected to your roots. 
Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American experience. Your Caribbean American community awaits. Now, we're not talking about the difference from, you know, going from Glenn Miller to Elvis. Like, there wasn't a cultural shift. Was it that there were that many new bands that got people's attention? Or, like, what do you think, uh, after all your research, was the big shift? Why do you think the Beatles kind of lost their appeal? Yeah, I think there was competition there that there previously hadn't been before. I'm thinking America, certainly the Beach Boys and uh, the Birds were sort of like the major but even Loving Spoonful were very big as well and then in England of course you had the Stones the Who which were also beginning to come to America as well yeah. the Hollies Dave Clark Five the, so you the, know. the new so, shiny offering yeah, yeah there was competition you know yeah. and also um, the Beatles like I said were becoming more serious in 1966 they started to talk about sort of world issues started to talk about peace uh, they just didn't seem to be as funny as they were before. Might have had something to do with the fact that they're experimenting with uh, hallucinatory drugs. So the two shows that they played in August of '66 yeah. at the International Amphitheater, well received. I mean, I oh, hope, yeah. but maybe not necessarily sold out. It yeah. sounds like you know. Yeah, or maybe they sold out, but barely, or you know, not technically they sold out, but really it was because they gave a lot of tickets away. Well, you know, it's funny reading about how their last tour was 17 shows in the U.S., two Toronto shows, kind of wedged in the middle. But it was only from August 12th of 66 to August 29th of 66. Like, your whole tour is essentially two and a half weeks. That's right. And then then done. We're we're out. I don't want to give away too much from your book because I want people to buy it. It is called Joy and Fear. The Beatles, Chicago, and the 1960s, written by John F. Lyons. How did Chicago take uh, the news of the Beatles breaking up? Okay, it was announced by uh, Paul McCartney, and he had a, a solo album that was just coming out in April 19, his first solo album, or first real solo album, and he did a question and answer uh, interview in that solo album that was given away to DJs and the press because he couldn't be bothered doing real press. And uh, one, a few of the questions on there pretty much were along the lines of, do you think the Beatles will ever play together again? And he kind of didn't really say completely 100% no, but made it pretty clear that certainly for the foreseeable future, he didn't have any intention of getting back with the Beatles again. So anyway, so that was then turned into a front page headline in an English new- newspaper called the Daily Mirror on uh, April 10th, 1970, which said, Paul quits the Beatles. And then a lot of uh, books and articles then say that uh, headline was repeated all over the world. You know, that the breakup of the Beatles garnered front page headlines across the world. So I thought, okay, let's have a look in Chicago. So I started looking at the Chicago newspapers and I found out, you know what, it didn't. It, it, It appeared in the Tribune, the Daily News, uh, sometimes it wasn't front page. No, it wasn't it was front page. Kind of buried in the it was buried exactly, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. it wasn't even major headlines. You know, it was smaller headlines. You know, then also I thought, well, I better have a look. Then maybe it's just Chicago. I'd look at the LA Times and the Washington Post, New York Times. Same there. So the point I'm trying to make is that it's pretty clear that, that it didn't get front page headlines. Why wouldn't it get front page headlines? Maybe it was kind of ambiguous what he said and they didn't want to pick up on it. I don't believe that. I think the reason is because they just weren't as popular 
as they had been when they first came to America. You know, I guess the question is, 1970, we're in the middle of Vietnam, there's more things going on than essentially a pop band. Yes, a majorly yeah. influential band. Yeah. There's more stuff going on in the world yeah. that should be getting press That's right. than you know, yeah. these guys going all, their separate ways. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think you're right. There, there is other things in the press that you could talk about besides the Beatles. But yeah. I think it's also the fact that the Beatles had alienated themselves from a lot of their sort of uh, base if you yeah. want to say, the sort of uh, ordinary Americans. Yeah. And that's because they, came, they became associated with the counterculture. And they started to talk about uh, not just they didn't like the Vietnam War, they talked about they, they were against all wars. They were pacifists. Yeah. They didn't just basically take marijuana. They were now basically, pretty openly, Paul McCartney admitted it, and pretty much everybody knew, they were taking LSD and other sort of drugs as well, cocaine or whatever. Yeah. And uh, also, uh, we know that uh, by what they said in the newspapers, that uh, they were uh, very much in, uh, against sort of government structure. They talked against authority. They were very much uh, sort of moving towards that sort of hippie ideal. Uh, again, we don't know as much in the 60s as we do now, but they were pretty promiscuous for their time period. And um, that was kind of known as well. So in other words, their ideals had moved away from what the ideals of an ordinary American would have been in 1970. So the Beatles, after the uh, breakup, obviously, each of them spent some amount of time in Chicago. You don't need to go into great detail. I know that McCartney has been back a hundred times, played at Soldier Field in a variety of places. I think Ringo has come back and, and played at, at Ricochet's here in Lincoln Square a couple times uh, with his band. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, all four Beatles came back to Chicago uh, after the Beatles broke up. Now the Beatles never came back obviously as a band, but they all came back separately. Lennon came back in 1972 and he gave an interview to Jet Magazine and he was here with them with Yoko Ono. And uh, by all accounts, they loved Chicago and they were uh, infatuated with Lake Michigan. If you're in a hotel on the uh, Gold Coast and you look out onto Lake Michigan, it is pretty spectacular. And Yoko Ono claims that she then wrote a song which was uh, Walking on Thin Ice, which kind of a hit uh, in the early 80s. And she said that was inspired by uh, Lake Michigan. They were enamored. That was the only visit that they uh, made to Chicago. George Harrison was the first Beatle to play here. And he played here in 74. Concert was not very well received. His, his voice was pretty much shot by then. He decided, because he was very into Hindu religion, to have Ravi Shankar as musicians playing Indian music before the show. That didn't go down well. And also, he played one or two Beatles songs, but he did what we'd know as a Bob Dylan on them, where you wouldn't recognise that they were actually the original song. And then uh, the two most positive are Ringo and Paul, obviously played here many times yeah. then. And also, they both were, had positive views of Chicago because they saw it as a place that was livable. They could basically, uh, allegedly, when Paul used to come here, you'd go to the lake and jog, and you may have seen him, Tommy. You know, Jogging I, down the I, lake. Uh, oh, was that him? That was him. Wait, was he still dyeing his hair long? That's the one bats. with the black hair and that the. Like Paul. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so uh, they had positive things to say, and uh, uh, Ringo Starr, in the summer of 2008, decided to celebrate his birthday publicly in Chicago. Really? Yes. Peace and love, peace and love. Exactly. He used that term, which I think he's used one or two, uh, two times since. Yeah, no, he's, he, he used it very uh, cautiously. Exactly. Yeah. And it was the Hard Rock uh, Cafe. 
outside the Hard Rock Cafe, he did a peace and love moment. And that was the first of these annual peace and love celebrations he does on his birthday that still goes on up to the modern day. John F. Lyons, author of Joy and Fear, The Beatles, Chicago, and the 1960s. I got to tell you, I enjoy every conversation that I have with you. Thank you so much for being here. Tommy, it's a pleasure to be with you. And again, from a, quote, regular guest of the show? Well, my only two-time guest. I'm calling it regular guest of the show. Okay, we'll go with that. I'm going to say to your listeners, goodbye and see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode about the Beatles in Chicago, the later years. Thanks to my guest, John F. Lyons, the author of the book, Joy and Fear, The Beatles, Chicago and the 1960s. As always, if you have any questions about anything covered today, anything to add or have an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. I'll have info related to the events discussed in this episode on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages throughout the coming week, as well as links to John F. Lyons' book, Joint Fear of the Beatles, Chicago, and the 1960s, if you'd like to read more. Anything purchased through those links, not just the items listed, may earn this page a small commission and help offset production costs. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on those social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thanks, Johnny. He can be found at angeleyesartjks on Instagram or via email at angeleyesartjks at gmail.com. If you have time, please rate and review the podcast and tell a friend about it. It really does make a difference. I will be back soon with another chapter in Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.